0: Hey everybody, good morning and welcome to Christ Community Chapel. Really, really glad that you're here. Welcome those of you over in East Hall, those of you tuning in. Uh, Welcome. All right, we are on week seven of our eight-week series on the book of Hebrews. We've been calling Hebrews together. And almost every week, I have been reminding us of a couple of things. One is that Hebrews is that great connector between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Hebrews reminds us that the Bible is not two stories. The Bible is one story, and that story is about Jesus. The second thing I've been reminding us is that Hebrews promises to take us on a journey from weariness to rest, from alienation to the very presence and love of God, from isolation to community. But the only way we are going to make that journey is if we fix our eyes Jesus. And finally, I have told you that Hebrews was written to a group of people who were already Christians, but were going through a very, very difficult time. Uh, They were suffering. They were struggling. They were in danger of giving up. So if you are here and you are struggling, if you are here and you feel like you are going through the ringer, then you are at the right place. This is for you. And here at the end of Hebrews, all three of those threads kind of come together, and we are going to look this morning at what is arguably the most famous chapter in the book of Hebrews, chapter eleven. I don't know how many of you have ever made the trek down to Canton to walk through the football Hall of Fame, but when somebody is inducted into the Hall of Fame, they get a sculpture made of them. It's a like a bust. Of them. If you go down to the Football Hall of Fame, you'll walk through and you see these really heroes of the game, these champions, these people who are larger than life. That's the way Hebrews chapter 11 reads. For a first century Jew, every person mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11 would be like a hero, like a champion, like someone who is larger than life. And the more I prepared, the more I studied for this message, the more intrigued I became at the placement of chapter 11 in Hebrews. You know, when the Bible was originally written, there were no verses, no chapter breaks. Uh, Those were added later on to help us reference where we were, you know, in a particular book. So I could tell you, turn to Hebrews chapter 11, you would know where to go in the book. But originally, that wasn't the case. And one of the problems with having chapters is that it feels like a chapter can kind of stand on its own sometimes. But Hebrews chapter 11, the only way you know why Hebrews chapter 11 is even in the book of Hebrews is you have to go to chapter 10. And the only way you can really understand what Hebrews chapter 11 was supposed to do for the people who read it the first time and for those of us who are here today is to bleed into chapter 12. Let me show you what I mean. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Hebrews chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible, we would love to be the first ones or the ones to give you your first Bible. So you can come up after the service up front here in the sanctuary over in East Hall. You can drop by the New Here tent. We will give you your first Bible. And if you're over in East Hall, it might be easier to pull it up, our uh, church app, and see it on your phone. But this is Hebrews chapter 10. I'm just going to read... Verses 32 through 35, this is what it says. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with suffering, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison. You joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. So you see the thread of someone who is suffering. This writer is saying, you went through a really tough time before. I mean, these people had had their property plundered. They'd been thrown in prison. They had suffered. People they loved had suffered, and they had made it through okay. So whatever they were going through right now was harder than that. And the writer is saying, don't give up now. But Hebrews also promises to take us on a journey, so we head into chapter 11. And chapter 11 is a long chapter. It's like 40 verses long, so I'm just going to bounce through it with different verses so you get the gist of what's happening in chapter 11. But it's what it says. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice Then Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts and through his faith. Though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying... Blessed each of his sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Let me stop there for a minute. I Hope you got that. Right? Moses lived 1,500 years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And yet, Hebrews says, Moses considered the reproach of Christ of greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. Hebrews is reminding us the Bible is not two stories, the Bible is one story, and that story is about Jesus. And then he throws it all together. Verse 32 he says, What more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets. All this, all these people, the hall of fame of faith. The thing that struck me is this I was thinking, okay, what if I was uh, one of those people really discouraged? And if you are one of the people right now who are really discouraged, you're feeling like God's not paying attention, I am disappointed with God. And then you received a letter that reminded you of all the people who went through very difficult things, but did it in a great way. Would you be encouraged or discouraged? I don't know. We put it this way. Our beloved Browns are two and Four. Right. And they are on a bye week right now, waiting to face the New England Patriots. Right? I don't know if Freddie Kitchens, the head coach of the Browns, in this bye week, should take them down to Canton to walk those hallowed halls to show them what champions are like, what, what real football players look like. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, you might be inspired. You might be discouraged. That's why it struck me as Strange that Hebrews chapter 11 would be where it is. All right, so let me get to my points. I'm going to use the same template we've been using. My first point is why heroes are great. My second point is why Jesus is greater. And my third point is why that's great news. Why heroes are great, why Jesus is greater, why that's great news. First, why heroes are great. I think our culture gives us mixed messages about heroes. I mean, one of the messages that our culture gives us is that you should be your own hero. That the answer is within you, that you don't need other people to define who you are, what you are. That you have that, and that's been that message has been coming for a long time. I mean, if you look at uh, the, the Wizard of Oz, that old movie, that was the message of the Wizard of Oz. You don't need a wizard. Courage has always been within you. You've always had a heart. You've always had a brain. It's the, it's the message of Star Wars, the Force is in you, or however, however Star Wars says it, in you the force is. I don't know. <laughs> but it's not just, uh, it, that's one message. There's another message that comes loud and clear, is that you want a hero. You need a hero. Right? Every summer there's a spate of superhero movies. You can always go to the theater and find a movie about a superhero, whether it's Spider-Man or Batman or Black Panther or Aquaman. And the the message is you want somebody who can do what you can't do. You want a champion. You want a hero. But it doesn't just come from Hollywood. It comes from our political scene as well. I'm gonna take a chance here because I'm gonna use our two political parties and I'm gonna use kind of a caricature of both parties. And let's be fair, our political parties have pretty much made caricatures of themselves. But This is the chance chance I'm gonna take. The Republican Party tends to be on the one side that says you can be your own hero. That's the land of opportunity. All you need to do is work hard. You can do it. You don't need a handout. The Democratic Party seems to be on the other side. Is that you need someone who will fight for you. You need someone who can do for you what you cannot do for yourself. And the government can be that for you. And if we're honest, with ourselves, We live somewhere in between. We don't swing back and forth between political parties. But in our lives, when things are going well, we feel like, hey, I got this. I mean, I understand. I'm, I'm, things are clicking, and people should be like me. And then you hit something that is out of your control, something where you cannot figure it out, where you cannot win, where you are going to fail, and you think, why doesn't somebody come and help me now? And if you've ever had a hero show up at just the right time, you know how great it can be. Heroes are great. I grew up watching Superman. I love Superman. For two reasons. One is Superman always saved the day. Always. Doesn't matter what the problem was in 30 minutes or less, he saved the day. And this is what you know, I was reading in Hebrews 11. This is about Moses, verse 27, it says, By faith Moses left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover, sprinkled the blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. Moses was that kind of a hero, who could save the day. And I'm sure when people would read about him, would think, man, if Moses was here, he would know what to do. We could follow him. The other thing I loved about Superman was when he would stand with his hands on his hips, like this, right? And, and people could kind of hide behind him. Lois and Jimmy could be behind him. And when the bad guys would shoot bullets, they'd bounce off his chest. Now, I loved that as a kid, because I thought, wouldn't that be great? Someone that you could kind of get behind, someone who would protect you, someone who would be a refuge for you, someone who was so much stronger than you, that, you could, that they could be your hero, be your champion. When it says, what more shall I say, for time would fail me to tell you of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel, the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, Obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. You can almost finish that up by saying could leap tall buildings with a single bound, you know, stronger than a locomotive, more you know, faster than a speeding bullet. Heroes are great. The downside of a hero is this. They're not like you, or you're not like them. They have something you don't have, which is what makes them a hero. Which is why I was, when I'm reading this, when I'm thinking about people who are discouraged, people who are broken down, people who are, who are thinking about giving up on God, to list out all these heroes and to say, have them be thinking, yeah, I get it. I get that Moses was great. I get that Abraham was great. But I'm not like that what do I do? Heroes are great, but we need something greater. That brings me to the second point, which is why Jesus is greater. Why Jesus is greater. And this is why we bleed into chapter 12. Listen to the first three verses of chapter 12. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, that's all the heroes, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. See in chapter 10. He is saying, You are weary and faint hearted. Then he takes them through this tour of the hall of fame of faith. And then he ends in chapter 12, says, Therefore, do not grow weary and faint hearted. If chapter 11 is the hall of fame of faith, then chapter 12 tells us their secret. It tells us what made them them and what's their secret. Remember, one of the themes of Hebrews is to remind us that. That the Bible isn't two stories. The Bible is one story, and that story is about Jesus. The Bible isn't a collection of stories, a story about Abraham, a story about Moses, a story about David, and a story about Jesus. That's not the Bible. The Bible is a single story about Jesus. And all the other stories are side stories. But there is only one real story, and everybody on that list understood that. And that's what got him on the list. And so what Hebrews is saying to people who are discouraged, what Hebrews is saying is, I want to tell you something about these heroes of the faith that you think you know. And I want to tell you about Jesus. And this is what I mean. If you look at what it says about Abraham in verse 17, it says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead. From which, or raise him from the dead. All right, so if you read that story in the Old Testament, what you find is that God nowhere tells Abraham that he was going to raise Isaac from the dead. Abraham had never seen anybody raised from the dead. So what made Abraham believe and say to himself, this is going to be okay? Because even if I sacrifice Isaac, God will raise him to life. And the reason is because God had promised Abraham that through him one was coming, and that one that was coming was going to be a blessing to the entire world, and that one that was coming was going to come through Isaac. So Abraham, who figured out that the whole story is about that one. And if God said that one is going to come through Isaac, then Isaac had to live. Isaac had to live. I've told you before, I'm a big fan of Lord of the Rings, uh, J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord. Not the movies, I'm a big fan of the books. And I I read the books every year, even though it's a long book. Uh, It's probably the only fiction that I read. But the reason I I love to read it now is that there is one main story that the Lord of the Rings is about. It's about the ring of power. It's about the destruction of evil and the triumph of the king. That's the story. But Tolkien, because it's this epic tale, there are all these other stories and every other story eventually folds into the main story, the destruction of the ring, the destruction of evil, and the triumph of the king. At the risk of telling you too much about Lord of the Rings. There are four hobbits in the Lord of the Rings that are important hobbits. Two of them, Frodo and Sam, are kind of in the main part of the story about the ring. The other two hobbits, who are their friends, are Their names are Mary and Pippin, and they go throughout different things, different adventures, and at different times, they don't really understand how their story fits into the overall story. But I do, because I have read the books so many times, I know how it ends. And there are times when Mary and Pippin are discouraged, and I think, if if you knew what I know, you wouldn't be discouraged. There are times when it seems hopeless, when it is not hopeless at all. That's what Abraham saw. That's what Moses saw saw. See, the thing that the Hebrews writer is telling these people who are discouraged, he takes them on this kind of journey through these heroes of the faith, these people that they think are larger than life, and he's saying to them, you think you know their secret. You think that their secret is that they have something that you don't have, that that Abraham and Moses and David and all these heroes, that somehow they had more wisdom and more strength and more courage and more faith." than you have. That wasn't their secret. Their secret is that they had Jesus. And you have that secret too. That's the whole point of chapter 11, is that he's telling these people who are discouraged, you don't know, you don't, you're not looking what those people of old, those heroes of the faith, they knew because they were looking forward to Jesus. And they knew that their lives made sense, that they didn't have to be discouraged. What seemed discouraging wasn't discouraging. What seemed hopeless wasn't hopeless, because Jesus was coming. And you have seen what Jesus has come to do. And you know even more than they do. You have a greater part of the secret. You know Jesus. And Lord of the Rings, and I I promise this is probably my last time I'm going to mention it in this message. But... One of my favorite chapters is one of the last chapters. It's called The Scouring of the Shire. And what's happened is that the ring has been destroyed. Evil, the back of evil has been broken. The king is on his throne. And the hobbits are going back home to what is called the Shire. And when they get to the Shire, they realize things are a wreck. Evil is still afoot. And they have to do something, they have to enter into a battle. But they're so different. All the other hobbits look at them and they say, wow, look at them, look at how much courage they have, look at how much wisdom they have, look at how much strength they have, look at how much faith they have, that they thought there was something different inside of the hobbits, but that wasn't it. The thing that made those four hobbits different in the way they approached the Shire is that they knew the story. They knew that the, the war had already been won that the back of evil had been broken, and the king was on his throne. So they already had a hero, and so they could act heroically. So a hero is great. Jesus is greater. And let me tell you why that's great news. Verses 1 and 2 again. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. There are a couple of things I love about those verses. And the first thing is this, that the Hebrews writer is talking to people who are discouraged, people who are beaten down, people who are thinking about giving up. And he says to them, listen, don't you dare give up. When you think about having a, a hero of the faith and you start to think in your, in your mind that oh, if only Moses was here, if only Abraham was here, don't you see the secret to Moses, the secret to Abraham is the same secret you have. You have Jesus. And the way the Hebrews writer does that, he says, not just you don't just look at Jesus at what he did on the cross where he broke the back of evil and paid for sin and defeated death. Look at where he is. He is seated at the right hand of the throne on high, that he is triumphant. The other thing I love about these two verses is that, you know, that one phrase where it says that he is the founder and perfecter of our faith. There are other versions that say he is the author and finisher of our faith. And I love that just because author is the, same kind of thing with the story. And what the Hebrews writer is saying is that you have one who is, who is writing the story, and it is his story. It is his story. Listen, this is what I want you to get. The story of the world, the story of, of the universe is not about you. It's not about your children. It's not about your life. The story of the world, the story of the universe Is about Jesus. And Jesus is the author, and He has finished the story. He has broken the back of evil. He is reigning triumphant, and He has written you into that story. So, to everything that happens in your life, you will one day see is folded into that great story, just like it was for the Hobbits. And I think if only you knew. If only I knew, if I could see the end of the story. And and then when I say that, I realize that's what Hebrews is trying to tell us. Hebrews is trying to say, you can see the end of the story. You know that Jesus died for you. You know that Jesus resurrected for you. You know that Jesus reigns on the throne for you. Therefore, what seems discouraging is not discouraging. What seems hopeless is not hopeless. Which means this. Whatever is going on in your life, no matter what it is, no matter what it's going on with your children or at work, or even if it's a terminal illness, it is not hopeless because you have a hero and your hero has accomplished for you what you could not do for yourself. Your hero has saved the day. Your hero is someone you can take refuge behind and your hero sits on a throne and is triumphant. And because he is there, because you have a hero, like Jesus, that means you can be heroic. So we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we come to you and you know I am as guilty as anyone else. Uh, with being discouraged, with feeling like uh, I don't know what's going on in that. I wish I'd look at somebody who, is a, uh, who I count as a hero of the faith and I think I wish I had what they had. But I realize that what they have is not more wisdom, it's not more courage, it's not more strength, it's not even more faith than what I have. What they have done is they have fixed their eyes on Jesus. They're looking to you. And so I pray for every person here That if there are people here who are discouraged, who are frustrated, who are disappointed, or whatever is going on in their lives, I pray that you would help us all to fix our eyes on you. To see you as as the author and finisher of our faith, that you have not only broken the back of evil, and you have paid for our sin and done for us what we could not do for ourselves, but you are reigning triumphant as the King. Whatever battle we find ourselves in now, because we have a hero, we can be heroic. Thank you. We pray this in your blessed name. Amen.